Praise the Lord. Well, I'm about ready to head out, fly <laughs> over the, the deep blue seas, and there's power in those planes. I'm thankful for the power in the planes, um, and there's power that we sang about, power in the blood. There's, there's a, a, the Lord has power, and uh, if it wasn't for power, nothing could get done, right? But how many of you sometimes feel like, I got no power? It's like, oh boy, here we go again. We're, we're in another routine, another rut maybe, or we're, we're just, oh, it's just one day after the next. One day, where is the power, Lord? We, we sing about power, we hear about power, but we don't always experience power, and we need power, just like that plane needs power to soar and carry us all the way through. And so God has not left us without power, and God wants to be our fuel God wants to get us flying. God wants to get us to the next place to make progress, to go forward, to see victory in our lives. Even when it looks like things are crumbling around you, there can be a victory that's welling up within you. And there's, there's ability. You, you know, a lot of people are trying to live the Christian life in their own ability, their own power, and that's where we get into trouble. Because it's not about our own power, it's about the power of God. And it's, we, we talk about the power of the Holy Spirit. We need the power of the Holy Spirit, but sometimes we just think, oh, the Holy Spirit's not showing up. And so we have to wait, when's he going to send his power? And there's usually more power than we give him credit for, if you think about it. That we make it through anything is because we're being empowered. But there's so much more that we can be experiencing. And you don't have to wait for a special whoosh of the Holy Spirit, but I, I want to see that. We, we sang, show us your power. We, we can receive that. But while that is ahead and not at the present moment, there's something we can do. And we can get power from the source through the Word of God. And we've been talking about the Word of God, and a lot of people don't often think about it in terms of giving them that fuel, that power. They, they, they want to read it. They want to build themselves up so they can do the right thing. They want to uh, be able to resist sin, and it's a good thing. Someone said this book will keep you from sin, or sin will keep you from this book. There is a power there, but I'm talking about more than just keeping you in line. I'm talking power to live the life of Christ, to do what he wants us to do, to serve him, to be motivated by his love, and to be a motivator of his love to others. Not just making it and hanging on till dear sweet Jesus comes, but saying, all right, I've got him. I'm going forward in his power, in the power of his spirit and his word. But the spirit works with the word. And the word is very powerful as we're going to talk about today. I just want to review what I said about the word a couple weeks ago because a lot of people... Uh, don't consider what a gift and treasure this thing is and how it is supernaturally powerful. It's been supernaturally pre preserved through the ages. They tried to ban it. They tried to burn it. They persecuted those who got it to the people. Uh, you know, they tried to close us down in China. Everybody just flourished underground. You know, you can't put out the fire of the word. The word is supernaturally preserved from the time it's come to us till now. And it's got 66 books. 
and it's written by 40 different authors from different times, places, languages. I mean, that's a miracle when you get all those different authors from different locations and different time periods, and yet they're all in a supernatural harmony about God's redemption. There's nothing contradictory. There are things that seem to be contradictory here and there, and usually they can be reconciled with a little research into it. But the main themes of redemption and the glory of God and Jesus Christ, all of that is a consistent message through that book. And as I've said before, you get three or four people in a room trying to agree on very important issues, and it's not going to be so easy, let alone if they're separated through different times, languages, and locations, and things like that. And so you can't put out the fire of this word. This word has changed lives, changed nations. I have, I've had people ask me questions like, well, why do you trust this? It's just a book. It's not just a book. Like I said, this is a supernatural book. It has the ability to bring life. And a lot of people reject it. A lot of people say, well, I read so-and-so, and so-and-so debunked this. There's scholarship out there that debunks the Bible. Okay, but is it good scholarship? Is it honest scholarship? Is it scholarship that's free from any bias of trying to put out the Bible? And I always say, if you want scholarship, we got it. I mean, there is more reasonable scholarship to back up the Christian faith than anybody can ask for. So if anyone ever comes and says, from an intellectual standpoint, I just can't do this, it's really not a reflection of the intellect. It's a reflection of the heart. I once had a friend who... I was trying to witness to, and I kept trying to answer his objections. And I said, look, if Jesus were to walk in here and show himself to you, would, then would you follow him? And he still said, no, I wouldn't. I said, well, there you go. You know, I can't answer any questions for you. It's your heart. You have to have a heart willing to receive. And if you're worried about the scholarship and things like that, man, there's so many answers to your questions. And, uh, and that's some of the fun of it, discovering how God has put his fingerprint on history, his fingerprint on the book and in lives. That There's enough to say this isn't just a, a step of faith. I'm just going to trust this book out of nowhere. No. No, this is a supernaturally preserved book. It was supernaturally put together, and it supernaturally changes lives. There was a, a group of missionaries in China. They went into this rural village and a bunch of farmers they got them together and they started preaching the gospel to them and as they were preaching they noticed there was one guy in the group the rest of the group was kind of just li listening with courtesy you know you ever have that you talk to someone that well i'll listen to you with okay thank you okay you're done now very good um but there was one guy who was just you could tell he was zooming in on it and he was honed in and uh, his eyes were wide open and his ears you could tell it perked and at the end, they gave them some Bibles, and they all received them courteously, graciously. But the one farmer grabbed that Bible. He said, is everything you said true? And they were saying, yeah, it's true. And then he looked at the, the book, and, he said, and it's in this book? And he said, yeah, it's all there. And he just clutched it to himself. He had a newfound treasure. And I heard about this, and I thought, well, you know, all the homes even on this street that probably have a bible and they don't realize what a treasure it is and it is a treasure because there are riches and you can benefit from the riches um but some people aren't as excited about the word as that one farmer and today I, again i'm trying to get you excited one way to get excited i'm not excited as the pastor about the word or i'm not excited as the pa farmer you know realize 
that there is power. I, now, last time I spoke, I was talking about hope. But how many people need power to live? And I'm not talking about survived life, but, you know, you want to do the right thing. You can't do the right thing. It just keeps falling apart. You want to see the works of God. You want to see the miracles. You want to see answers to prayer. But it just seems like you're always missing it. Well, we're going to find out why today. But if you want to get excited about God, first understand there's hope, but then know that this is the power that you need. This is your power source. And so the word itself in Jeremiah 23, 29 says, is not my word like a fire and a hammer? That's not what I'm, I'm going to preach on a, a different passage, but I got to set this up with some references the word makes to the word. The Lord said, is not my word like a fire and a hammer? Now, what do you think of when you think of fire and hammer? Power. You know, what is more fascinating when fire, with, uh, than fire? We, we're drawn to fire, right? If it's not, you know, something that's destructive. Um, I taught public speaking in a college in Cincinnati, and I had these demonstration speeches, and I was getting so tired of hearing how to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, how to tie your shoes, how to make a paper airplane. I mean, I, I look back, I say, it's kind of a hard thing to assign a demonstration speech, but it's a good exercise. But I was just like going to school again, saying, I don't, I don't want to hear these typical things. And then one student came up to me after class and said, mine is next week. Can I do my subject on how to breathe fire? I was like, what? <laughs> you know, suddenly I had some interest. The school was against this. The school, <laughs> the school did not want firearms or fire being put in. And I said, well, you know, the, you know, the school has some rules. And she says, oh, it's not, it's not a big thing. It's just a little, and, and it's, and it's not going to, you know, I've done it a million times and all that stuff. And something about fire, I just said, yes. <laughs> so she comes in uh, that day, and I thought, she said it's a little thing. She's done it before and all that stuff. But she comes in that day with these long skewers and this tank of gasoline. And I was like, oh, no. And when she gets up there, I'm looking out, the, making sure there's nobody walking down the halls and everything. But we were all ready for it. it uh, that's what I'm saying. When you think of the, the word as a fire, maybe you go to it with a little more enthusiasm. Like, What's this got to say for me? Because fire is powerful. And I talked about Moses when he came to the burning bush. When he came to the burning bush, he was full attention because this was a fascinating thing. The bush was on fire but not being consumed. The girl did her thing. She went and shook off the g excess gas out the window and stuff, and I'm just, like, so nervous. And, and she said, ever since the beginning of time, man has been fascinated with fire. And I said, what a great opening to a speech. And then she does her trick, whoosh, and it wasn't just a little thing. It almost touched the ceiling. <laughs> and I was just, well, anyway, everything worked out, and nobody, nobody got in trouble for it. But the next week, she showed up. She didn't show up to class. I thought, oh, I wanted to give her her A, you know, and, and uh, she wasn't there. And then the next week, she wasn't there. And so I thought, well, what's wrong? And uh, one of her friends said, oh, she, she was doing that fire trick at a party, and she got burnt, and she had to go to the hospital. She's okay. She's a, I mean, it's a happy ending. She's okay. But I thought about that, too. The fire is powerful. And when you are using it properly, uh, it's a useful and helpful. But if you don't use it properly, you can get burned. 
And so uh, a lot of people don't think about that. The, the Bible is also referred to as a hammer there, and you can hit your thumb pretty badly when you're using a hammer. You've got to be careful. You've got to be careful with it. That's why the cults, cults develop because they don't use this word properly. And you want it, the power, you want the power in your life, you have to use it properly. You can't just take it and say, make it say what you want it to say. You've got to take it as the Lord intends it in the context and then it's going to have an effect. It'll be useful. And then it, the word also is referred to as a sword. So, uh, you know, we can talk about swords, but sword is a weapon. So you've got fire, uh, which is your lamp unto your feet, the light unto your path that can brighten you up and get you heated up for, for God. You've got a hammer, which is your tool, which you can build things in your life with it. You can build things for the kingdom with God's help. And then you've got a sword, a weapon, that you can cut down your spiritual foes, cut down the temptations, and cut down uh, the depression, the anxiety with a word of hope and things like that. You've got those terms of power. But there's one other term that we're going to focus on today, probably the most powerful uh, term that the Bible's referred to, and it's the least likely you would think of as being powerful, and that is a seed. We took fire, hammer, a sword, but a seed, I believe a seed is even more powerful than those things. Why? Because a seed produces life out of it. Just a, a little tiny shell that, or whatever's in that shell. How does a seed work? Who can tell? It's the Lord makes these things work. But when you see a huge giant oak tree, you know, or do you know, it came from a little acorn. You can toss an acorn, put it in your pocket, and, of course, there's smaller seeds than acorns. I mean, we all were smaller seeds ourselves. And look what's produced. You can see boulders that have seeds that fell in the cracks of boulders, huge, giant boulders. And these little tiny seeds have, have rooted, sprouted, and they're starting to cause crap, cracks and break up the boulder. I've seen it in sidewalks, concrete breaking up because of seeds. That, seeds are powerful. And so the word is referred to... The, a seed in our passage this morning, and that seed produces life in us and produces fruit. But it's an effortless thing. The seed does the work. You don't do the work. However, you do have to plant the seed. Then the seed will do the work. Well, we've got so many seeds being planted in American Christian culture. Why is there so little fruit? Why? We've got seed in radio, television, coming to church, books. There's so much seed being planted, and yet, why so little fruit? And what can be done about it? Well, thanks for asking. That's what we're going to learn today. In Mark chapter 4, and my eyes aren't working well this morning, verses 3 to 9. Do we have that? Let's read through it. This is a, a message about... Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, and it happened as he sowed that some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds of the air came and devoured it. Some fell on stony ground where it did not have much earth, and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. And some seed fell among thorns, 
and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. But other seed fell on good ground and yielded a crop that sprang up, increased, and produced, some thirtyfold, some sixty, and some a hundred. And he said to them, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. This is a, a very powerful parable about a powerful thing called a seed and how it produces fruit. And we know from the last uh, verse there that you can produce fruit, a seed can produce fruit in your life, and different people have different results, 30, 60, 100. It depends on how you're gardening. It depends on how you're responding to the situations that uh, came before that verse. And I used to think that this parable was only talking about conversions. I don't know if any of you are like that. You've heard this before, and you think about, well, this explains why some people respond to the word, and they get born again, and they become Christians, and other people don't, because the devil came and stole the seed from them. But others, they started out pretty well, but then they weren't rooted, and they fell away. But then there were those that let the thorns choke them out and, and all this. But those who had it in good ground, now they, they're good church-going Christians and, and they're saved and, and that's how we can understand how these things work. I used to think that's all it meant there, but it, it doesn't. It means that. I believe that applies. That does explain some things. But this, these verses apply to us, whether you've been born again for two hours or 20 years or however long, and it applies to the non-believer. These verses show us a principle of how the seed of the word works in our lives. We want to see the fruit of repentance and somebody being converted, yes. But we want to see fruit as we grow in Christ. We want to see fruit that distinguishes us from those of the world. We want to be the sheep and not the goats. We want to be the wheat and not the tares. And that's by the fruit being brought forth in our lives. Jesus said that he willed that we bear much fruit. It's his will that we bear much fruit. But it's been so difficult. How? Why? And I planted the seed. I love the word. Well, here's uh, how Jesus explained it. Um, in Mark chapter 4, verse 15, we're going to go through just his, ex <coughs> excuse me, his explanation of each of the situations. In 4.15, he says, the first group, these are the ones by the wayside where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. Okay, so first thing to note here is these are ones by the wayside. What does the wayside mean? But you're out of the way. You're out of the way. You're not in a position where you're ready to receive this seed. You're not, you're, your heart might not be in that place. And Satan, you can hear it, but Satan comes and steals. How does he steal the word from us? And we all, we all can, you, know, you can be a great Christian. You can be one who's pursuing God, but there are times when you can be out of the way. Ever read your Bible in the morning and you, you get halfway down the page and you realize, I don't even know what I just read. Oh, I'm the only one that feels that sometime. Are you reading your Bibles? Okay, that happens, right? And so I realize I'm out of the way. My heart isn't there. I've got to get it back into position. So slap myself, go back and read what I read, and I make sure I remember it, and it's good. But you want to be in the way. 
But Satan will come if you're out of the way and easily steal the word that you hear. A lot of people will come to church and hear a word on Sunday, a great sermon. They'll say, boy, that was great. And they go out and at lunch they'll say, well, what did he talk about? I don't know. It's gone. What happened? Satan stole the word. Well, because maybe uh, it was just going in and rolled off that hard soil in the heart. There's other ways. Satan uses distractions. You know, if I was speaking and then all these ambulances and fire engines were going by and all of the loud sirens, you might not hear what I'm saying. That's one way you could be distracted and Satan steals the word and suddenly my lips are just moving and you don't hear what I'm saying. But how many of you know that can happen without loud sirens? You can have loud things going on in your head that nobody else can hear. Well, I wonder what I'm going to have for lunch today. My stomach's making quite a loud noise right now. And I wish he'd hurry up and quit blowing off. And, uh, you know, these are mental distractions. Sometimes they can be visual distractions. You don't like my shirt today, and now you're focused on that. And I can't believe he'd choose to wear, wear that. Hopefully that's not. Um, there's all kinds of things. Or you could be worried about what's going on, what happened tomorrow at work, and, and how am I going to face this situation? And all kinds of distractions and thoughts can come in. And so what we have to do is make sure that we're not on the wayside, but that we have our hearts prepared. We have to make a conscious, be conscious. I'm going to give you three C words today. This is the first one, conscious. Conscious that we are prepared to listen, that we're thinking about what we're going to be hearing. When I'm going on the plane this week, I'll probably start to look at a magazine or something while their flight attendant's going to go through the, uh, the emergency plans and they all, always start off with, in the rare case of an emergency here's what you do and then they go through the thing but you know I've heard it so many times I don't really have to pay attention but see that's what most people do on the plane they're they're falling asleep already or they're looking at a magazine or something and this poor flight attendant has to go through her routine and say in the rare case of emergency this is what happens and and uh, not many people that's a lot of people by the wayside and it's just going off and Hopefully nothing happened. But what would happen if the flight attendant came up and said, you can't get off the plane. This plane is definitely going to go through a chaotic situation. Here's what you need to do when it happens. Then I think everybody's going to put their magazine down. They're going to wake up, and they're going to be listening. Okay, right? This, that's how you prepare. You perk yourself up. You prepare yourself. Oh, after the service today, someone's going to come in and tell us how to get free stuff from Walmart. It's a little tricky, but you can get about $200 worth of free stuff. I think you'd be perking yourself up saying, I'm going to listen to that. I want to find out what it is. And, and that's how we can keep Satan from stealing the seed. When we're reading the word or hearing a message or, or the radio message or whatever you're listening to, trying to get a word, you, you have to be conscious that there are thieves out there and they are trying to steal the truth away so that it doesn't produce fruit in your life. And another thief is unbelief, where you can read a fantastic promise. Speak to the mountain, it will be removed, cast into the sea. Well, I don't believe that. You know, who's do ever done that before? But God calls us to a childlike faith and we need to be conscious that we're 
listening with attentive ears and that we're willing to be faithful. And if Jesus said it, I believe it. What it mean, you know, does it mean I can go move the Great Smoky Mountains? I doubt it. But what does it mean? I want to I know. I don't want to be just throwing that seed away, saying, I have nothing to do with that, you know. And I, I will, uh, I'll speak to my problems sometimes and say, you're a mountain, I command you to be cast into the sea. Well, that's foolish. That's unbelief. When it's, you know, childlike faith will say, well, you know, what did it mean? Jesus told us. You know, what's it going to hurt? But there are thieves that want to steal that kind of thing, and that's the kind of thing that could produce fruit. It's a, it's a humbling of yourself, and it's a, it's a saying, I stand on the word of God, and I want to give the word of God a chance. Amen. So that's be conscious of the fact that there are thieves out there. If you know there are thieves out there, you're going to keep your hands close to your pockets. You don't want them to get your stuff, right? Guard the word that you hear. Guard it. And, you know, think about it after you read it in the morning, throughout the days. So what did I read again? You know, how can I let that grow in me and produce that fruit? The next type of ground, Mark 4, verse 16 and 17, is the stony ground. and says, these likewise are the ones sown on stony ground who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with gladness. And they have no root in themselves, and so endure only for a time. Afterward, when tribulation or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they stumble. Now, notice something here, that persecutions and tribulations occur, why? For the word's sake. This is something that often goes over people's heads. Sometimes, you know, we've been taught so much that persecutions and tribulations come for our good, give us a little bit of discipline, and I'm not saying they can't be. That can't, they can be issues of discipline. But not every bad thing that happens is a loving act of discipline. Sometimes it's Satan trying to steal the truth of God out of your life, getting you to doubt, getting you to not believe, and getting you to give up. Right? That, isn't that what I say? He, it comes for the word's sake. So, you know, this isn't the Lord trying to teach me a lesson. This is Satan trying to get me into doubt and unbelief and where I'm going to give up. I'm not going to persevere in the things of God. So what do we do to avoid this? We have to have the second C word, commitment. We have to be committed to the word we hear. Because a lot of people will hear it, immediately receive it. Yeah, that was great, but then there's any trouble... Or any setback, and oh, uh, when I was a new Christian, I was telling a friend about my new faith, and he said, oh, I, I tried to be a Christian once, and it didn't work. Well, how long did you try it? You know, was it a day, or was it a, a week, or something? Was there a commitment? Was it, when, we, when I got saved, we sang a song, I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back. That is a song about commitment. No turning back. Why would we say that? Because there's going to be lots of opportunities to want to turn back. Amen or oh me. Nobody's ever felt that before. Commitment. And so you hear the word, you need commitment. I saw a, an example of this in China. Now, this is a, a great thing that happened in, uh, in my ministry in China. In the early years on the college campus, I had been talking about the Lord any chance I could get in the classroom. 
You could get in trouble if you just tried to evangelize, but if you talked about it within the context of your foreign culture, and we did that on Christmas and Easter, and we also looked at literature, and then they'd say, well, what's that mean? It's talking about Jesus there. Well, this is what it means, and here's what Jesus is about. And I took every opportunity I could to share about the Lord in my classes if the opportunity arose. And I think it was obvious. To me, uh, it was obvious. I was trying to get them the, the gospel and trying to share about the Lord. But nobody was responding. And it was a time when I felt like quitting. I thought, nothing's happening here. But we stayed, and we were committed. And one night, we had what they call an English corner. That's when all the Chinese students come and practice their English with the foreigner. And so I was meeting them that night, and some kids, I, I mentioned something about the Lord or the holiday or something, and they started talking to me and asking some questions. And there was a group of these students, and I was like, they're asking these questions. This is great. We're talking about the Lord. No, it's like finally we're talking about the Lord here. And this young lady, who's, who I'll call Melody, that, she was Chinese, Melody, she came up and ruined everything. I was talking to them, getting encouraged, and she came up and said, oh, I don't believe that stuff. I said, well, why not? And I thought she'd get involved, but she started arguing with me. Again, I talked about the, uh, at the beginning, you have these intellectual problems, and she said, and I believe evolution and all this stuff. And I was like, really, you believe that you came from a monkey? You believe all these stars out here tonight is just an accident? And, you know, I just tried to say, oh, don't you think you're worth more than just being a, from a monkey, and I thought, yeah, I got her, but she just kept arguing, and as she's arguing, I noticed my little group was leaving, and I thought, oh, well, okay, and then, uh, so I'd answer her one thing or another here, and she kept talking, but somewhere in that conversation, a miracle happened, and it wasn't anything that I said, because I'd say something, she'd just counter it, she'd just object, but somewhere in that conversation, for no reason whatsoever, her face suddenly lit up. She said, oh, now I get it. Now I get it. She said, you came here to tell us about God, and God really does love us. God is real. I was like, are you the same person that I was just talking to? <laughs> and she just lit up, and it wasn't anything I said. It was just I've never seen anything like it before in the middle of it. I wish it happened all the time. I have many conversations that didn't happen that way. But this happened. And so suddenly I was not answering objections. I was encouraging her. I was telling her I'm going to give her a Bible and everything. And I gave her a Bible. And then a week later, I saw her again. And she was kind of down. And I said, well, what's wrong? And she said, oh, I was in the library and I was reading Holy Bible and uh, one of the Chinese librarians came up and said, what are you doing? She says, I'm reading Holy Bible. And they said, you can't do that. That's not for Chinese. And it scared her. And so she put down, she said, Mr. Rick, I just don't think I can, uh, I can do this right now. I'm busy. I have to graduate and all this stuff. And, and that was the end. And uh, that was the stony, stony ground. You know, if you have a... Um, a small plant that's really rooted and a big plant that has little roots, which one can you pull up easy? The, 
the, the big one, the big one. Why? Because it's not rooted. A small one looks like, oh, that's easy, but ugh, it's rooted. What happens when you're not rooted and something comes along? You're not committed. We need to be conscious. We need to be committed. When you're not committed, it can easily get ripped up. And we need to be committed in these days because there's going to be a lot of that persecution and, and people threatening and things like that. So I'm not going to leave you with a sad story. This is an amazing amazing thing for years for years i thought about melody and i would just be led to pray for her at times i couldn't let go of her i I, i'd be led to pray for her and i think wherever she is lord touch her life and get her back into this place um and i met lots of my former students lots and lots of my former students and i'd always ask some i'd we'd get have reunions reunited and i'd always say hey do you remember melody you know Oh, yeah, I remember. Do you know, have her contact number or anything? Because back in the day, it, we had no contacts, but later through the years, we had now the social media and, we, and the cell phones. We didn't have it when, when this first happened, okay? I had to tell you that because, you know, easy, it's easy to keep in touch now. But I had to meet people just throughout life through other friends and students, and they would say, no, we don't have her phone number. We don't, have, we don't know how to contact. Oh, she was in a different class. We were class A. She's class B and all that stuff. So for... For a decade, uh, it was just, I don't think I'm ever going to see her again. And then we left China, and then I continued making trips. And so I went on this one trip uh, with one of my former students, and we went to this area, and we were going to meet another. He was going to connect me with another student uh, who is now a communist official. And so I said, oh, great. So I met with him, had lunch with him, tried to share the gospel with him, and you know, it's hard to share with communist officials, but, but I thought, you know, I could tell he needed encouragement. He was just like being beaten in his office, and so I just tried to encourage him. We had a good lunch, and as I left, uh, he said, do you remember this picture? And he showed me on his phone the picture we had taken him and me and Melody. I said, yeah, I've got that picture. And I said, you don't know her contact info. You don't have her contact info, do you? He said, yeah. Here's her social media account or thing like that. Finally, all this time. And so that night, I, I texted her on this social media app, and she was excited. She said, oh, so good to meet you again and all that. And, and then the first thing she texted me was, I still remember when you told me about the Lord. And, uh, and she said, I hope I can believe someday. I said, you can, you can, and all that stuff. And... Uh, I know it's a long story, but she came up, and my former student and I took her to dinner, and he led her to the Lord that night. And uh, what an incredible blessing. Some, you know, commitment, commitment, stay committed, persevere, and you will see the Lord work. The problem is we just give up too quick, and there's many areas in all of our lives, I think, that we have given up too quickly, so we miss the blessing of the fruit of perseverance. I just want to pause so you can think of that for a second. The blessing of the fruit of perseverance. It's not just, oh, i got to keep going, keep going, but just persevering, knowing that God is going to bless at some point, and it may take two weeks or two years or whatever, but it's well worth it. So that's the stony side. We are conscious, not allowing Satan to steal. We are committed so that we can be rooted and not pulled up at the 
any wind of change. And the next ground is the thorny ground, Mark 4, 18 to 19. Now, these are the ones sown among thorns. They are the ones who hear the word and the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things entering in, choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. So this doesn't just apply to giving up on faith. You can be uh, one who loves the word and not abandon the word, and yet the thorns choke the fruit in your life. You love the word, but you also have the cares of the world, and you desire the things of the world, and the riches, the deceitfulness of riches. The cares of this world doesn't necessarily mean that, oh, I'm, I have all these responsibilities and I have tensions and cares. That could be included. But it's also, I care for the things of the world. I care for how I come off with the world. I care for the latest blockbuster things that are out there and the trends. I care about, you know, some people in the church have one foot in the world, one foot in the church, and uh, that's, you want to be all in, all in with being otherworldly. You can't be out of the world, and you have to deal with the world, but you can be otherworldly. You can be a kingdom person. But the, the point here, the C word here is that we need to be consistent. I know somebody, an old friend from uh, college, who was posting on Facebook, and, and she was posting these scriptures, and they were like, and saying, oh, praise God for this, and these scriptures one week, and then the next week, she was using profanity and talking about her time at the bars. I was like, wait a second. You know, how many people are posting scriptures on Facebook and then spending their time doing unchristian things? I, I mean, acting contrary to Christian principle or Christ, and it's a bad witness, and it chokes the fruit. And I'm not saying that the, she's not saved. I'm not saying that she's doomed. I'm just saying that there's fruit that's being choked. It's not the fruit of a consistent walk with Christ. You know, a lot of, a lot of you will uh, hear things, good things, read good things, and then, not you, hopefully, but, you know, then you'll expose yourself to unholy films and music and things that you're not going to go to hell for that, but it's going to influence you. It's going to choke the victory, the fruit. It's going gonna, it's gonna to do something. When we were doing a, a revival meeting in a village in China, we were at this place in the countryside, but it was this large, must have been an old school. I can't even remember what it was, but there was enough room for about 200 pastors and leaders to camp out there. And uh, we just came in and had this day with them. We were just uh, reviving them, encouraging them, motivating them. That's what, this is why I like to go overseas because, you know, some of the things that I've been encouraged with and motivated with, they don't get the same resources I have. I have to be the resource for them and share it with them. And so we just saw them just become alive and rejoicing, and this is great, and they're so glad they came. Some of them came from lo a long way away, but they had to camp out. And so that night when we were done with all the meetings for the day, somebody decided they were going to show a movie for a movie night. Okay, that's, so, that's all right. I'm not against that. But they downloaded this movie from the computer, and they said, you want to come? And me and my buddy I was working with, well, we're retired. We're going to just stay in our room next door. 
And when we were in the room, we were fellowshipping and talking about how great a day it was, and suddenly we hear all these booms and explosions and noises and screaming and things like that. What, is, what are they watching back over there? And they had downloaded the latest disaster film. That it was like a total world, end of world kind of film disaster thing or something. And they had it loud, booming, and like for the next two hours, we just heard booms, explosions, screaming, and, and stuff like that. And, and we thought, man, this must be some flick. And the next morning when we started our session, everybody was just like, all the life was drained out of their faces. It's like they, they had had such a rejoicing the day before, but they allowed some of this stuff to choke that fruit. And so it made our jobs hard. We had to get them up again and get them going again. And they can get going again, and you can get going again. But why get it to where it's so hard to get yourself going again when you can keep yourself pure and, and going without having to rev it up and rev it up and have to get the next touch all the time, all the time, right? And the biggest thing is not just what you put in. That might even be the secondary thing. What, it's what you put out. Jesus said it's not what you put in, it's what you put out. How many of us have been disappointed with people who say they are Christians and then they act contrary. Yell at the waitress, or give you a hard time, or cheat you. Ever have that happen? Being cheated, and they had, they had the fish symbol on their car. That is where the fruit is choked. We need to be consistent. Don't post praise the Lord one day, and then it's profanity the next. We need to be ambassadors, consistent, the real deal, and the reason that the world is having such a hard time with the church is too many people have been burned by uh, so-called Christians. And I don't, I'm not blaming the church, and I, and I think it's wrong to be down on the church. I think there's an enemy out there, and there are uh, seeds that are sown, uh, tares among the wheat. And it's a spiritual thing as well. But there are people who will not even see that there's an inconsistency, and that's what we don't want to be. We want to be consistent. So I gave you three C's today, right? What was the first one? Conscious. Be conscious. of You're in a position to hear and to guard what is given. And then there's commitment. It's doing good. Commitment. You're not going to be moved. I shall not be moved. No turning back. And I'm going with this. And third, consistent. Be consistent in our lives. How we speak to each other at home. You know? How, you know, we, we talk about how great the Lord is and then we yell at our spouses or something like that. We, we all fall, we all fall, but we don't have to fall as often, right? If we're being conscious and committed, we can be more consistent. All right, to wrap up, uh, let's see where uh, Jesus talked about this in Luke 8, verse 15. This is where the other... Um, passages, but this is added where it's not in Mark. But the ones that fell on the good ground are those who, having heard the word with a noble and good heart, keep it and bear fruit with patience. Those having heard the word with a noble and good heart, that is, they were conscious. They were conscious of where their heart was. Their heart wasn't out of the way, on the wayside. They were conscious. They were upright, waiting to get it having heard the word with a noble and good heart, keep it 
That's commitment. They keep it. They didn't, they didn't let it go. They didn't backtrack on it. They kept it. That's commitment. And they bear fruit with patience. With patience means the long haul, they're being consistent. They're bearing fruit with patience. See, it's all right there. He, he said it. Uh, <laughs> I'm not just reading into it. Well, I'm reading into it a little bit. I think you can legally read that into this verse. And then last verse, verse 18, Luke 8, 18. Jesus said, therefore, take heed how you hear. For whoever has to him, more will be given. And whoever does not have, even what he seems to have will be taken from. But take heed how you hear. Not just what you hear. What you hear is important. But also important is how you hear it. And how do you read the word? How do you hear the word? Do you read it with a consciousness and a committed commitment and with consistency? And I just mentioned in, in the book of James, it talks about being doers of the word. How do you, how do you receive a word? Well, you just look at it like you look in the mirror and then walk away and forget who you look like? No. That's what James is talking about. He's saying, but being a doer and following through on what you've read. If the word says, don't gossip, don't gossip. If the word says, uh, be generous, be generous. If the word says, you're loved, be happy, you're loved. Remind yourself of these things. Be doers. This is what being a doer is. That's how you, this is how you hear. You apply it, and then you move forward in it. And that's what we want to do and be. And if we can do that, I think we can produce more fruit. Or it's not us. Like I said, it's the seed. It's the word that will produce the fruit. We're just tending to the garden. That's all we have to do. It's not a legalistic thing. But you want your garden to grow. You've got to tend to it. And you've got to be patient, too. You don't just look in the garden once you've planted the seed and say, wait, nothing happened. It's a commitment, and it's a consistency, and it's good soil. Amen? Well, as we go into this communion, we can take um, this idea of the seed because Jesus is a seed. Jesus was planted into the ground, and much fruit came up from the ground when he was resurrected. And so we uh, receive Jesus. You know, the word doesn't just tell the word is a seed. It also tells that we are seeds. And, you know, so Jesus was a seed. The word is a seed. But when we get the fruit in our lives, what does fruit do? Fruit disperses more seeds. So we actually can be multipliers of the kingdom as we grow. Uh, but now as we take communion, let's just look at it as we're putting seed in. We're remembering what the Lord has done and allow that to take root in your life and to encourage you and motivate you to live for him. And so 